Amen. Well, this morning I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. This can be found on page 992 of the Black Pew Bibles in front of you if you need a copy of God's Word. As you're turning there, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. First Timothy, chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, And give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. When people visit our church, one of the most common things they say they are looking for is community. And that is no surprise in our digitally connected yet physically disconnected age. So many people are looking for community. And I sincerely hope that they find that here at Redeemer. I know we are far from perfect, but we have worked over the years to try to create a culture of warmth and hospitality centered around our faith in Christ and and the truth of God's Word. But I hope community is not all that people find here, because a church is meant to be more than a community. It's meant to be a a family. A church is meant to be more than just a, a group of people connected by similar interests and similar attitudes and similar desires where people feel welcome. 
It's meant to be more than just a group of people sharing a similar location. A church is actually meant to be a people bound to each other by common blood. We may not have the same DNA, but we have the same saving grace that comes through us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that means something. It should unite us in a way that is deeper than a typical community. You won't even find the word community in the Bible, at least in the English Standard Version. But you will find many words that describe the church as a family. You'll find the word household. And you'll find that the members of that household are referred to as brothers and sisters, as mothers and as sons. Ephesians 2 tells us that Jesus came to preach peace to those who are far off, the Jews, and those who are near, the Gentiles. And and he brought all people together through his blood. So then Paul writes in verse 19, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Jesus came to establish a, a household. He came to establish a church family. In Galatians 6.10, Paul writes that we are the household of faith. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus called his disciples his, his true mother and his true brothers. We find that kind of family language throughout the Bible. And we've seen it already in this first letter to Timothy. Back in chapter 3, verse 15, Paul used that term household again. He called the church the household of God. And, and I know it's been a while, but when we looked at that verse, we began to discuss how the church functions as God's household, as God's family. We talked about how being God's family means that the church knows who's in the family. We do this through the process of membership. Being God's family also means that the church welcomes all who want to belong. Right? The church is a place for the weak and, and for the awkward and for the poor. It's a place for the young and the old. It's a place for people from all backgrounds and all colors. Being God's family means that the church has family rules as well. There are expectations for how we act as a family. There's instruction. There is discipline. This is because we aren't just any children. We are the children of God. Being God's family means that the the church stays together. We work to resolve our issues, and and being God's family means that the church should feel like home. This should be a place of familiarity and comfort. So we we discussed all those things when we looked at that that phrase, household of God, in 1 Timothy 3.15. And now, here in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, we find Paul reverting back to that household theme. And And what dominates the first 16 verses of this chapter is the idea that the the church is meant to be a family that cares for each other like family. The church needs to care for one another like a good family cares for each other. And we'll find two specific habits that a church should develop in order to accomplish that. Two habits of of a church which cares for each other like family. We find the first habit in verses 1 and 2. First, as the church, we are to correct each other like family. We're to correct each other like family. In verse 1, Paul instructs Timothy not to rebuke 
an older man. Now, what is Paul saying here? Isn't rebuke a, a good thing that Christians should practice? Well, yes, in a sense, it should be obvious that correction is often necessary in God's family. None of us are perfect. In, in any loving family, disobedience and sin need to be dealt with. And so to truly love others as Christians means helping them live according to God's good design for their lives. And sometimes that means pointing out ways in which they aren't. In the Ephesian church where Timothy was ministering, there was plenty of sin that was occurring. Paul mentioned in, in chapter 1 that some had swerved from the faith and, and wandered away into vain discussion. Some, he said, had shipwrecked their faith. In chapter 2, he hinted at men who were being angry and quarrelsome, and women who were too concerned about looks and overstepping their roles in the church. In chapter 4, we saw that some were believing the doctrine of demons here in chapter 5, he warns of widows that are living God ungodly and self-indulgent lives. And so there were plenty of areas in which the church in Ephesus needed to be corrupted, corrected. Sin will weaken a family. And if left unchecked, it can also destroy a family. In, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, Jesus clearly outline the steps that we should take to deal with sin in the church. We're to go to sinning brothers and sisters in private and help them to see the error of their ways. But if they refuse to listen, then another believer or two should be brought in to lovingly confront them. And, and if they still refuse to listen, then the whole church should be told. And if that doesn't help, then those people should be treated as non-believers. So, so Jesus was very serious about dealing with sin in the church. So here in 1 Timothy, Paul isn't saying that Timothy shouldn't correct or reprove older men who are being disobedient to God. The word for rebuke in verse 1 is actually a very strong term that is only used here in the New Testament. It refers to not just a rebuke, but a sharp rebuke. A related Greek word is used in chapter 3, verse 3, to describe how an elder shouldn't be prone to violence. So what Paul is communicating here is that Timothy shouldn't, isn't, I should say, what Paul is communicating here isn't that Timothy shouldn't correct older men, but that as a younger minister, he shouldn't be harsh, shouldn't be violent in his approach. Sin needs to be addressed and it needs to be confronted, but that correction needs to be done in love. And that's why Paul wrote, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Older men in those days would have been at least 40 years old. And Paul was saying that they should be encouraged or exhorted to do what is right as you might encourage your own father. They shouldn't be sharply scolded like children. Now, there should be a certain level of respect that results in tactfulness and gentleness and moderation when appealing to these men. Older men do need to be corrected, but they should still feel respected. And older men aren't the only ones that sin. Younger men, those in their 40s and below, 30s and below, really, also need to be corrected, but in love as you would a brother or a peer. And older women should be treated like you would treat your mother, and younger women should be dealt with like you would deal with your sister. 
Now, notice that Paul adds that phrase, in all purity, at the end of verse 2 after mentioning younger women. That's because he knew that Timothy might be tempted sexually if he didn't carefully guard his relationships with younger women in the church. Paul is, is being extremely realistic here. He knows what it's like to be a young man. So he told, specific, or he told Timothy specifically to watch his purity. His purity in his thoughts and his purity in his actions around the young women in the church. Especially when dealing with sin in the life of a young woman, in conversations that might naturally be more private, Timothy was to exercise extra caution. For ministers and men in the church today, it's also wise for us to heed these words. There is nothing backward or primitive about setting boundaries and putting safeguards in place in our dealings with women that aren't our wives at church. Whether we're young or old as men, we have to be cautious when we have private interactions and conversations and text threads with women we aren't dating or married to. As pastors at Redeemer, we try not to have one-on-one, closed-door conversations with any woman in the church. We hope that's not offensive to anyone, but we do that because we take this verse seriously. So many Christian ministries have suffered because of male leaders who haven't listened to this clear command from the Apostle Paul. They haven't dealt with young women in the church in all purity. And so what we observe here in these verses is that a minister of God isn't supposed to treat everyone the same way in the church. Older men and older women get special respect. Younger men are to be treated like brothers, and interactions with younger women must be marked by complete purity. But what is consistent across all these relationships is a family love that should compel ministers to encourage people in the church away from lives of sin and toward lives of obedient flourishing according to the will of God. And though Paul is writing to Timothy here, these principles for relationships in the church apply to all believers. We, we are to treat each other with respect that's appropriate to one's age and gender, especially when we need to correct. As a church, we have to have a culture of correction. We cannot allow our sin to undermine the fellowship that we share or the testimony that we have in this world for the Lord. We have to have a a family culture that is willing to call out sin in each other's lives, to say to our Christian brother, like we would our blood brother, hey, stop being selfish. It is time for you to step up and serve. Or to say, "That's, that's a bad decision, bro. You shouldn't be going out on that date. We have to have a culture where we can humbly say to older women in the church, like you would your mother, I know you feel that way. I know you're tempted to judge her, but maybe you should try to understand it from her perspective. Or to say to that younger woman, like you would your sister, I understand that you were hurt, but she was hurt too, and you both need to ask for forgiveness. These are the the kinds of respectful and loving conversations that mark a healthy family and These are the kinds of interactions that should mark our church. Every family features some form of correction. You put sinful people in the same house long enough, and people will express their feelings over the sins of others. It is just inevitable. Just watch any reality TV show. That's life. But there's a way that you can correct others in love that doesn't have to be harsh or unkind or violent. 
In order for the church to be the family it was meant to be, we need to correct each other in the church, but we need to do it like a, like a loving family. Second, in order for the church to be the family of God it was meant to be, we also need to care for those without family like family. So we are to correct each other like family and we're to care for those without family like family. Okay, look at verse 3. It says, Honor widows who are truly widows. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about widows because God has a special place in his heart for them. In Psalm 68, 5, God is called the father of the fatherless and protector of widows. In Deuteronomy 10, 18, he says that he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. In Exodus chapter 22, God says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath shall burn and I will kill you with the sword. God is serious about treating widows the right way. In Deuteronomy 24:19, Israel was instructed to leave some of their harvest behind for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. In the New Testament, Jesus also repeatedly called attention to widows. He commended the widow who gave out of her poverty all that she had and, and the widow who was persistent in asking a judge for justice. He raised the son of a widow in a city called Nain. He condemned scribes who devoured the houses or the livelihoods of widows. So it's not surprising that the early church took care of widows seriously. We see this in Acts 6 where a group of proto-deacons were chosen to help make sure that widows in the church were being properly provided for. That's why James also wrote that pure and undefiled religion before God is visiting or caring for orphans and widows in their affliction. Uh, last Sunday evening, we had the privilege of hearing from Pastor Roger Chen, who really challenged us, if you were there, from James 1.27 to care for orphans as a church. Orphans are those without family whom we should treat like family in the church. But today, we are in a passage in 1 Timothy that focuses specifically on widows. So we're going to try to focus most of our attention, keep most of our attention there this morning. Now, why is it so important for us to, to honor widows in the church? Why does God give special attention to widows in the Bible? Why does our attitude toward widows inform whether our religion is pure or not? Well, it's because widows were some of the neediest people in society in ancient days. In the, in the Greco-Roman world, widowhood was often a serious task because widows didn't usually inherit their husband's estate. They would have access to the dowry their father had provided and any other assets that their husband had previously arranged to give them. So there were some widows that were financially secure, but by and large, the, the common situation was for widows to be left with very little after their husband's death. And coupled with very few income-earning opportunities, the circumstances of widows were quite desperate. So Paul reminded Timothy and the church in Ephesus to honor these women. And that word honor doesn't just mean have fuzzy feelings about them. It has behind it the idea of both respect and material provision. If you, uh, if you look at verse 4, it says that 
children should make some return to their parents. And then in verse 8, it says that believers are to provide for their relatives. And verse 16 calls upon able women to care for widows and their family so that the church is not burdened. It's clear that what Paul meant by honoring widows was something very tangible. It was helping to provide for their daily needs in a society which had little social welfare support. Notice also that Paul doesn't just say, honor widows and and stop there. He goes on and qualifies his initial statement. He says, honor widows who are truly widows. So who is a true widow? Who's a true widow? How is the church supposed to know who among the, the greater population of widows it's responsible for caring for? Well, that's what Paul addresses in the verses that follow. First, we, we learn that a true widow doesn't have any relatives to support them. And we see this in verse 8, and actually verse 4, verse 8, and verse 16. Verse 4, verse 8, and verse 16. Now, just bear with me as we're going to jump around a bit in the, in the rest of this passage, but I think it helps us to more clearly understand what Paul intended here. Okay, so what kind of widow should the church support? Well, the church is to care for destitute widows. The church is to care for those women who don't have other relatives who can support them, those who are truly destitute. Look at verse 4. Paul writes that if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Here we see that widows should first be taken care of by their children or grandchildren. And Paul writes that this is a matter of godliness. Godliness is right belief of God that shows forth in right living. And what Paul is saying is that caring for widows in one's family is the outworking of genuine faith in God. It's evidence of a godly life. Uh, Honoring parents is one of God's basic commands. It's the, the fifth commandment. And if you don't care for your parent who is a widow, you haven't learned what godliness is. In Mark 7, Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of Israel for allowing certain children to shirk their responsibility to provide for their parents and make kind of a sham vow to God instead with all their assets. He said, when you don't care for your parents, you reject the commandment and you revile your parents. And Jesus said, you deserve to die for that. Taking care of older parents is in need is one way that, that we can pay them back. Not that most of us could fully give back to our parents all that they have given to us, but we can make some return to them. Even bad parents whom you feel don't deserve anything back still deserve to be honored to a certain extent by their children. Now, in all these situations of caring for parents in need, Wisdom needs to be exercised. It's not going to look the same for every family. And it's hard to help those that don't actually want to be helped. But those that need help and are willing to receive it should be cared for by their own family. This kind of care and love is pleasing to God. It's a demonstration of godliness. And if you skip down to verse 8, you'll notice that Paul writes, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, meaning 
your immediate close family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So how we shoulder the responsibility of caring for our relatives, and especially those in our immediate family, is a reflection of our faith. If we don't show love to our own family in this way, we are worse than unbelievers who do. Notice that in verse 8, Paul extends the necessary care that Christians should demonstrate toward family members beyond just widows. Christians have a responsibility to provide for all their family members, whether they are widowed or disabled or sick or children or they're simply getting older. Now today, many of our older parents might not be in financial need. In our country where we have a wealth of social benefits, including Medicare and Social Security and retirement accounts and pensions, our parents may not need our material support. But we're still to honor them and care for them in areas in which they are in need. It might be a need for companionship or tech support or practical help in fixing things or buying things or getting to appointments. And this can sometimes accumulate into what is a very heavy burden for children to bear. But it is a sacrifice we should be willing to make out of love for those who have raised us and cared for us. I I know some of you are dealing with this situation right now. You have parents who are losing their memories. You have parents who need help with their taxes. You have parents who are going through health issues who need a lot of support. You have parents who are struggling to keep their independence. Keep on loving them. Keep on doing your best to care for them. On those hard days, remember that the seemingly mundane acts of support you provide are acts of love that God is pleased with. Faithfully taking care of loved ones is a demonstration of godliness. And when you take care of believing widows in specific, specifically in your family, you also serve the church well. Look, look down at verse 16. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. So Paul singles out Christian women here because they would naturally be the ones that would take on the daily care for widows in their families. Now, this isn't to say that Christian men play no role or have no responsibilities with regard to this, but naturally, the task of widow care would fall to women in the family in those days. And Paul encourages women to embrace this task of caring for relatives who are widows, because it not only serves those widows, but it also serves the church. He, he writes at the end of verse 16, let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. There was such a need in those days to care for widows that the church wasn't able to do it all. The early church actually got into disagreements in Acts 6 because widows in need weren't getting served. Widow care was a serious ministry for the church, and so Paul encouraged family members to make sure they were taking care of their own first, that the church might be able to care for the truly destitute. So who is the widow that the church is meant to care for? It's the the destitute widow who has no family to provide for her. The church is to care for destitute widows. But not only should they be destitute, they should also be godly. The church is to care for godly widows. The church is to care for godly widows. And we see this in verses 5 and 6 and verses 9 and 10. So look back with me at verse 5. 
Who is a true widow? Well, Paul says, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Notice that a true widow is a woman who hopes in God and that hope manifests itself in a life of persistent prayer. A true widow is a woman who does not hope in her husband or relatives or herself. Her her hope is in the Lord. And she displays that hope in her regular prayers to the Lord. This is the, the, one of the greatest things that older saints can do for the Lord. When strength and energy start to wane for some of the other tasks of ministry that were easier to do early on, prayer can become the primary ministry by which some widows and those who are elderly serve in the church. And prayer is not a second-class ministry, and as we age, We must not think that our service for the Lord and for His church is over. It may change. It may involve being less involved in programs, but but more involved in prayer. But the godly widow will find a way to build up the body of Christ. On the other hand, widows that simply indulge themselves, as it says in verse 6, are spiritually dead, even though they live. This kind of widow isn't living for God. She is living for herself. She's given up a relationship with God. Look also with me at the end of verse 9. Widows that deserve to be cared for by the church are not only actively setting their hope on God, but they have a reputation for having lived a faithful and godly life. It says at the end of verse 9 that they should have been the wife of one husband. And that just means that they should have been faithful to their husbands. It doesn't mean that they could have only had one husband ever in their lifetime because Paul actually encourages younger widows to remarry later on in this passage. What he's saying is that A widow has to have been faithful in her relationships with men. True widows, verse 10 says, that should also have a reputation for good works. And Paul gives some examples. Now, not all of these things in verse 10 were necessarily required, but what Paul is saying here is that these are examples of good works that true widows would be known for. Bringing up children and showing hospitality to strangers and being willing to do the menial work of service like washing someone's feet and in caring for those in affliction and distress. Those are all examples of things that widows should be known for. This is the kind of Christian woman, the kind of widow that a church must help support in her time of need. She's been faithful to the church, and the church must be faithful to her. And so the church is to care for truly destitute and genuinely godly women in their midst who have become widows. Now, there's one final requirement that should characterize widows who are to be officially supported by the church. And we see this at the beginning of verse 9 and in verses 11 through 15. So the church is to care for widows who are destitute, widows who are godly, and widows who are older. The church is to care for older widows. In verse 9, Paul talks about enrolling a widow. And Though there has been some debate over what this means, it seems that Paul was referring to a formal list of widows who qualified for financial or material support from the Ephesian church. And Paul's requirement was that to be enrolled, a widow should be at least 60 years old. Now, you might wonder, does that age still apply today? Well, we have to understand that Paul was dealing with a church that had widows in a society very different from ours. 
And the needs of widows were much greater in those days. And Paul was writing to a church with limited resources, so he had to make judgments on who should be officially enrolled. That doesn't mean that the church was precluded from providing any kind of support to younger widows, but the official enrollment of widows was restricted to those who are much older. And that's because those 16 above weren't likely to get remarried. You know, I know that there are shows like the Golden Bachelor today that romanticize relationships past 50 and and 60 and beyond. And of course, that is possible, but that's just not very likely in those days. So 60 was a reasonable age to have some certainty that these widows were indeed going to remain widows that needed to be cared for. Paul further highlights this age issue in verse 11. He told Timothy, refuse to enroll younger widows. Why? Why did he write that? Well, when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Paul is saying that younger women, younger widows, are more likely to desire intimacy and companionship with another man. And their passions can potentially be so strong and they can desire to marry another man so much that it drives them away from Jesus. Marriage and companionship become their gods. And they may desire those things so much that they end up marrying an unbeliever, which causes them to abandon their faith and incur condemnation. Again, Paul was being very realistic here. He knew the temptations that younger women of marrying age face. God has given women a natural and good desire to be married and to experience the protection and comfort and companionship of a husband. And that desire can be so strong that they can be tempted to sacrifice their own faith to get it. This is a warning not only to younger widows, but all young unmarried women in the church. Today, people aren't getting married as much as they used to. Studies show that the marriage rate has declined by 60% over the last 50 years. In 1970, it was over 75%, and now it's just over 30%. Fewer people want to get married, or they tend to delay. And that creates a problem for young women who do want to get married. And that can tempt young women to go outside the church and outside the Christian faith to find a partner who is willing to commit to them. This isn't just an issue for women, it's an issue for young men as well. Paul is warning all of you currently in that stage of life to watch out that your good desire for marriage, your good desire for companionship, doesn't become an idolatrous one that actually draws you away from Christ. And so the church wasn't to accept younger widows on their official roster of widow support because there was a good chance they still wanted to be married. In verse 13, Paul also speaks of the temptation that younger widows might face if they were supported by the church with no family to care for and no need to work. They might just become lazy busybodies. They might just go from house to house and gossip. So Paul encourages younger widows in verse 14 to marry, bear children, and manage their households. He wanted them to redeem the time they still had, to be productive as wives and and mothers. And by doing so, they wouldn't give the adversary, who is identified as Satan in verse 15, any occasion for slander. If they remarried and if they were productive with their time, Satan wouldn't be able to use them as examples of lazy Christians who just spread strife. 
And this wasn't just hypothetical. Paul wrote in verse 15 that some have already strayed after Satan. This was happening in the church. And so Paul wanted to nip it in the bud. For all of these reasons, Paul told Timothy to only enroll older widows on his official roster of church support. As we consider this whole section, what we find is that the church was primarily to support widows who had no family to support them, and widows who had exemplified godliness, and widows who were older in age. Now again, this does not mean that a church cannot support any widow who is under 60 years of age, and it doesn't mean that the church can't come alongside families who need help in supporting their widows, but the principle Paul communicates is that the benevolence the church should show to those in need is not indiscriminate. There are wise guidelines we need to heed to determine who we should actually care for. Because if we just accept everyone, if we just support every widow, we do families a disservice by taking on their responsibility and keeping them from showing honor to their parents. We can also indirectly affirm behavior in widows that is ungodly and tempt them to become idle and lazy. So yes, the church must care for those in need. It must care for those who have no family. This includes widows. It also includes women who have been abandoned by their husbands. It includes single moms who need help. The church is meant to come alongside fellow believers in their local body and provide tangible help when needed. But it must also do so with wisdom and discretion. Now, you might be wondering, how is our church doing this? Do we have widows in need? How do I, as a church member, help those without family like family? Well, as a younger congregation, we really don't have too many widows in our midst. And those whom we do have have usually been financially secure. So while our church does have a benevolence fund to help members in need, providing money or material goods is not necessarily the primary way our church often needs to care for widows in our midst. But in the past, we have had widows and widowers who have needed child care. They've needed emotional support. They needed friendship. They needed encouragement. They've needed the church to come alongside them and grieve with them. There are some ways, these are some of the ways that we can carry out the principles in these verses. In addition, you should know that our Chinese congregation carries out an ongoing ministry to older saints including many widows. Through that ministry, not only is fellowship facilitated and the Bible taught, but rides are given, groceries are delivered, help with navigating the medical system is provided, assistance with arranging funeral services for deceased spouses is offered. There are just a host of other ways that our Chinese congregation has really cared for widows in need, and and there is a lot that we can learn from them. I'm frequently humbled by the way that they love and care for those who are older, especially for the widows in their congregation. As a church, we are are meant to be more than just a community. We're a family. And our testimony in this world should be that we care for each other like family. If you look at at verse 7 in chapter 5, right in the middle of our passage, you will find Paul writing to Timothy, command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. What things? 
Well, all these things he was writing about. If widows don't manifest godliness and children don't care for their older parents and the church doesn't honor its widows, then the church will come under reproach for its lack of godliness and its lack of love. But if we do these things right, if we correct each other in love like a family, and if we care for those who have no family like family, we demonstrate what the family of God is really all about. This is what Jesus was all about. Do you remember what he did at the cross? In addition to bearing upon himself all our sin, he made sure to take care of his mom, almost certainly a widow at that time. And he told his disciple John to take her in as if she were his own mother. To care for widows is to demonstrate the love of Jesus himself, the one who died the one who shed his blood to bring us into his spiritual family. This is the kind of community that we should aspire to have here at Redeemer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the words that you have given us by your spirit through the Apostle Paul in this passage to remind us of the great privilege that we have to function as your family. Thank you for adopting us as your children so that we might be part of your household. And we pray that you would help us really to treat each other like family here, that we would correct each other in love, and that we would really consider those who have needs in our family and try to meet them. And also we pray that you would help us as individual believers, as family members ourselves of nuclear families and blood families to really care for our parents, care for those in need. Help us to, to do some, that sometimes hard work of, of honoring our parents. Help us to do that well. Uh, we pray that we might do this so that you would be pleased and we would testify to the world that we are indeed sons and daughters of God. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.